Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 76. If you were to title this psalm, you might call it the God of Battle because we find how he battles with the enemies of God's people and also how he stills the storms on the seas and how uh, he takes care of uh, his own people that seek him. And so it's the God of Battle, Psalm 76. If you look at verse 1, it says, In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. Notice Judah means praise, by the way, one of the sons of Israel. And his name is great in Israel. So we look first here where God is known in Judah and Israel. God's people are aware of his greatness as well. His name is great. And when we think of God's greatness, we think of how he's to be honored and how he's to be admired. The Bible says, Unto him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Look in verse 2. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. You have two things, Salem and Zion. Tabernacle and dwelling place. Tabernacle means where he tabernacles. Dwelling place means where he dwells. So you have a twofold uh, thought of here where God is pleased to dwell. He's pleased to dwell in Salem. Salem means peace or peaceful, a peaceful city. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God, if all other people wanted to dwell in a peaceful city instead of a city of turmoil and strife? But God wants to dwell where there's peace, and He brings peace. If you remember Melchizedek, Melchizedek, some say Melchizedek and some Melchizedek, uh, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God that made, met Abraham as he came from the slaughter of the, the kings and met Abraham and blessed him. And Melchizedek, a type of Christ, our great high priest, is spoken of in the New Testament. Remember, he was spoken of as king of Salem and king of peace. So he's a perfect type of the Lord, isn't he? Because Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he's coming as prince of peace. So we find that that's where God is pleased to dwell. In Revelation 21, verse 3, the Bible says, The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. There will be a time that God will dwell with them. God dwelt in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Later on, He dwelt. His, his presence was in the temple. And when Christ came, the Bible says He came to dwell or tabernacle among us. So God was in Christ dwelling among us, among men. And then after He went away, He says He dwells in the church. That's His dwelling place. In, and in the hearts of believers. That Christ may what dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend what is the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Did you, have you ever gotten into that? You know something that's impossible to know? To know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. And so we find that God's dwelling place. And then the scripture we gave you in Revelation 21 verse 3, there will be a time that the tabernacle of God uh, is with men and he will dwell with them. We find that holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So where God pleases to dwell. And then in the last part of verse 2 it says, And his dwelling place in Zion. Zion was that holy hill. The holy hill of Zion is spoken of. A chosen place. Verse 3 speaks of what he does there. Look, there break he the arrows of the bow, 
the shield and the sword and the battle. Selah. The word selah means uh, as if you had a rest in, a, in music or a pause or, or uh, what do you... Many have said it means what do you think of that. In other words, we're summing it all up and we're leaving this with you to pause and to think about. What do you think of that? What of that? Selah. There are many ways that you could dwell upon that word. But notice the third verse. This is what he does where he dwells. It says he breaks the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword and the battle. Every weapon of war he breaks down. Psalm 46 verse 9 says he maketh the wars to cease. And there will be a time that he will make the wars to cease. And we read in uh, Isaiah a couple of places, chapter 2 and chapter 11, concerning the millennium. And he says he'll cause them to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Instead of making war, and they shall learn of war no more. As long as men are upon this earth without Christ coming in person to establish his kingdom, there will be wars and rumors of wars. But Jesus said the end is not yet. And there's going to be those things until he comes again. James says, From whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not from your own lust that war in your own members, in your own heart? You see, if men's hearts were not corrupt, if man was not depraved, there would be no wars. The best argument in the world for the total depravity of man is the wars in the world. Not, not, uh, not uh, withstanding the fact that we know we're sinners and we see sin on every hand every day. You know, that speaks of depravity. But to the very fact that all the, the uh, great minds of men and, and so-called good leaders and politicians and governors and presidents cannot do anything to stop the wars is evident that there must be depravity in this world. And so when people argue that men are not depraved, they just need to look around, just open their eyes a little bit. That's all you have to do. And then it says... And of course, you see what God does here. He He makes the arrows of, uh, breaketh the arrows of the bow, the shield, and the sword, and the battle. Now, verse four says, "Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey." His glory and excellence is above everything. Remember when it speaks of Christ being born unto you, a son is born, and to you a child is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah predicts the Messiah coming or Christ coming. In Isaiah 9, I believe it's verses uh, 6 through 6 and 7. And then we find, uh, it says in verse 5 and 6, look, verse 5 and 6 together. The stout-hearted are spoiled, they have slept their sleep, and none of the men of might have found their hands. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse are cast into a dead sleep. He steals the enemy with a rebuke. And one word accomplishes all of it. One word accomplishes his rebuke. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse are cast into a dead sleep. Talk about making things stand still, as we've heard it said. He can make everything stop if he wants to. It is power. You know, I'm amazed at how people uh, boast about man and his greatness. When you think of the fact of the... Uh, storm that's coming you know the storm that's coming on the on the east coast that hurricane 
And when people realize that no one can control that but God. And when He turns it loose, it's going to happen. And when He sees that He wants to still the storm, He can stop that too. Remember Jesus arose. We had it in our Sunday school lesson Sunday. He arose and rebuked the, the wind and the water. And there was a calm. There was a great calm. I believe the greatest calm, though, was in the hearts of the disciples instead of in the, on, the, on the sea or on the lake. Sometimes we're, our hearts are more of a storm than, than the actual elements. We become more afraid and storm-tossed than the elements. He can calm that storm, too, in our hearts. He said, Peace be still, didn't He? And the Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And if you can get your mind, when you have all the troubles that come in your life and the storm-tossed sea of your heart, when you can put your mind upon the Lord and leave it to Him, He can bring peace in the midst of that storm. And He does. He absolutely does. He's promised that He will. Look at this verse. At thy rebuke, verse 6, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse are cast into a dead sleep. Look at verse 7 now. It says, Thou, even thou, art to be feared. Who, and who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Who's able to stand? Remember old Pharaoh said when the judgments were coming, his servant said to Pharaoh, the servant said, This is the finger of God. He says, let, let, let Moses go. Let Israel go. Because this is the finger of God. And old Pharaoh hardened yet his heart, didn't he? They tried to point out, well, there's no need fighting against God. And by the way, there's not any. And then Revelation 6, let me read a few verses here. Revelation 6, verse 16 and 17 says, And said to the rocks and and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? That's the question. Who shall be able to stand? Notice our text says, Thou, even thou art to be feared, and who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? You know, I'll tell you what. If men would consider what God says, God's Word says about God, and consider the, the facts about God, they would stand in awe in the presence of God. And they would fear God. And they wouldn't be so boastful and proud and so uh, uh, macho in, the, in front of a holy God. You become very little and very weak when we see that God is all-powerful. And then in verse 8 it says, Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. His judgment came down from heaven. And then in verse uh, 9 it says, When God arose to judgment to save all the meek of the earth. Selah. God's purpose was to save, is to save all the meek of the earth. The purpose of his judgment is to save the meat. The Bible says, Blessed are the meat, for they shall inherit the what? Earth. And that's the future promise to God's children. And then verse 11, uh, verse 10 says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. <laughs> He's going to take con keep complete control of all wrath. And if man is angry, if the wrath of man, he can make that to praise him. And then what does it say about the remainder? The remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. He's going to restrain the rest of it. In other words, man can just pour forth all the wrath that he has and God is able to turn it about and he's also able to restrain the rest of it. Just bring it to naught. 
It doesn't do us any good to get angry, does it? It doesn't do us a bit of good in the world. And it certainly doesn't do the wicked that uh, know not God to uh, raise their anger and wrath against the holy God. You and I, we get angry. As, even as God's children, we become angry. But the Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. And then it says, Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Before night you make confession of everything that's wrong. But when you're angry and sin not, be angry and sin not, that has to do with being uh, angry with sin and with Satan and with what he brings about. There's a holy indignation. Jesus went into the temple and the Bible says that in anger, he was angry and he drove out those that sold and bought in the temple and they changers of money. And then we find something else. Look at verse 11. It says, Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. And it says, Let all that be round about him bring presents unto him that ought, that ought to be feared. Both duty and fear should prompt us to serve God. Notice, it's our duty to vow and to pay what we have vowed. And it's also our duty to fear God. He ought to be feared. And this should prompt us to serve God. And then look at verse 12. He shall cut off the spirit of the princes. He is terrible to the kings of the earth. He is a terrible God to the ungodly. There are great generals and great dictators and kings that fall under his power. And God removeth kings and he setteth up kings and removeth kings. Now let's look at the next psalm. By the way, I just have three of them prepared. So we get to the next one. And the other one's real long. And we'll go as far as we get in it. We may not even finish this one. But look at Psalm 77. This is the sorrows of a mature saint. Psalm 77. And notice what it says in verse 1. I cried unto God and with, uh, with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. Here's a prayer that's audible. All prayers do not have to be audible. But his appeal was to God and his, his voice was coming out too. He spoke out to God. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray it uh, silently, but we should pray, too, audibly. When we Remember, Hannah prayed, and only her lips moved when she was asking God to give her a son, Samuel. But her prayer was sincere, it was answered, and it was heard by the Lord. He heard that prayer just as sure as if she had cried out and said, God, give me a son, and I'll turn him back to you all the days of his life, is the way she prayed. So, sometimes... It seems to me that when he says, I cried unto God with my voice, this is an urgent prayer. That this is a prayer of, of supplication, that it's sincere, even unto God with my voice. In other words, I was so uh, into my prayer that I cried out to God in my prayer. And look, and he gave ear unto me. His appeal was to God who listened to his cry. And he did not accuse God of cruelty or give way to despair in any way. But he cried out to God. Look in verse 2. He says, In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. When should we seek God? It says, Seek the Lord in the day of trouble. Call upon the Lord in the day of trouble. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. The nature of his trouble. It was, he says, My soul ran in the night and ceased, and ceased not. My soul. So you have... Uh, Physical pain can cause mental agony sometimes. Sometimes people think that if they have mental strength, that, there, that physical strength doesn't have anything to do with it, or physical pain and suffering. But sometimes when you feel bad physically, you feel bad mentally. 
And they both go together. So you, you need to be revived in both ways. That's why, let me turn to this verse in, in the book of Second John. The book of Second John. And maybe it's Third John. I'll get it in just a moment. Uh, yes, it is Third John. First, uh, Second, Third John, Jude, and Revelation. Right before you get to the book of Revelation, only Jude is between. The third epistle of John. And notice, I want you to look at verse two. It says, "Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health." Now look, even as thy soul prospereth. See. So they both go together. Soul prosperity and physical prosperity or health go hand in hand. By the way, if you read that, uh, it, it really means that your physical health could be as good as your spiritual health. For some people, that would be in a terrible fix, wouldn't it? And that's what John was praying. He says, I, I wish above all things that your soul prospers, uh, that thou prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. Now, if some people's physical condition depended upon their soul's prosperity, they'd be pretty sickly, wouldn't they? So, uh, the thing about it is, we need both physical prosperity and, so, and, and physical health as well as we need spiritual health. And we need the both. And they go together. Let's get back to this uh, psalm now. Look in verse um, 3. It says, I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. The inability to understand God's ways had crushed his spirit. He was overwhelmed. He said, I remembered God and was troubled. I complained. And my spirit was overwhelmed. He seemed as if uh, he was not, that God was not doing all he wanted to be done. And he was hurting. And he was crying out to God. And he had become overwhelmed. But it was a good thing that he remembered God. And it seems like in the midst of all this that he was uh, having a lot of problems, trials. In verse uh, 4 it says, Thou holdest mine eyes waking, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He couldn't sleep or speak. Words would fail. Sometimes words fail us in the midst of our inability to deal with the troubles that we have. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. We stay awake all night. People say, I couldn't sleep all night. Well, what's wrong? And then it says, I'm so troubled I cannot speak. It even affects the way we can relate to others. It's a sad situation to get in, isn't it? And uh, you need God's help desperately. The Bible says the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. That'd be the good answer to a lot of folks, wouldn't it? In the book of Ecclesiastes 5, verse 12. Do you get that? Let me read it again. It says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. In other words, he may not have much. He may have a great deal. But on the other hand, if he's a laboring man, God is going to bless him. I used to work with a man when he'd get home and say, I'm tired, but it's a good tired. And that's the kind of tired we need. It doesn't be hurt to be tired. Brother Randy and I was talking about one day someone said, uh, if you want to prosper, he said, uh, uh, just uh, try to work yourself to death. <laughs> and you'll see how you prosper. You just keep on working. But some people are immune to that. And uh, I've found it a great deal in my time, and I'm sure you have too. Well, let's go on with this. It says in verse uh, 
5, I considered the days of old, the years of the ancient times. He remembered God's former mercies. And by the way, we sang a song, Count Your Many Blessings. We sang a song, uh, There Shall Be Showers of Blessings. And so all of these indicate, these songs sing, uh, indicate that we have many things to remember what God has done for us. We need to count our blessings. We need to look back and see what God has done as well as expect the showers of blessings in the promises. And he says, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. He looks back and he remembers God's former mercies. Do you and I remember what God has done for us? Every once in a while we get to thinking, well, now God is not going to do anything for me in the future. Well, what has he done for you in the past? That's a guarantee. That's, that's an indication of what he's going to continue to do for you in the future. We have some more about that later. But... I want you to think about that for a moment. Remember old David? He says, The same God that delivered me out of the mouth of the bear, paw of the bear and the lion, will deliver me out of the hand of this great giant, this Philistine. See, he says, What God did for me when I was tending my father's sheep, He's going to do for me when I'm out there on the battlefield. No difference. That giant was not any more furious to David than the lion and the bear was. And in both instances, he was working and he was doing God's cause. And when you do what God wants you to do, well, he's going to give you the strength and he's going to give you the victory through it all. And then I want you to notice uh, something else in verse 6. He says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. He remembered the good songs of old. Listen. And I commune with mine own heart and my spirit uh, made diligent search. Look at that. The old songs of Zion bring comfort. By the way, the old songs of Zion bring comfort in the church today, too. You know, some of these modern songs I just don't quite understand. Uh, some of them have no message like those that were, those people that were really spirit moved to write and inspired to write songs like Amazing Grace and the Old Rugged Cross and, and all of in these hymns we have. In this, the ones that, uh, uh, Michael and Sheila sang yesterday at Clayton's funeral uh, in the garden and Sweet Hour of Prayer and the Old Rugged Cross. Those are songs that have a message. I like that one, Rock of Ages. It says, Could my tears forever flow and could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. So, you know, Rock of Ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. That's where we're hidden in Christ's love and Christ's sacrifice in His atonement covered with His atoning blood redeemed by the blood that He shed on the cross. And that's where we're hiding. That's where we are. Safe place to be. It's a, safe, it's a good place to be. I called to remembrance my song in the night. He remembered back when he used to hear those good old songs. I commune with my own heart. Remember, he was told to meditate in his word. He would meditate day and night. And she, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He remembered that he was to meditate in the things of God day and night. Now look, in verse, and by the way, it says, And my spirit made diligent search. We need to search the heart for signs of doubt or unbelief. My spirit made diligent search. Do you ever search out your own heart and say, Now, I'm just going to look inside and see just where I really stand. Search out all avenues of sin, all avenues of unbelief, all avenues of 
of discord or disharmony or anything uh, negative and put the good things in there. It says in one place, David strengthened his heart in the Lord. Strengthened himself in the Lord. See, it's up to you to do something with the grace that God has given you. you he, he gave it to you. The Bible says He hath blessed us. That's past tense. Isn't it? With all spiritual blessings, all of them, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Christ. It doesn't say He's going to bless us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Or we hope that He will bless us with all. But He says, Who hath blessed us. Hath. Past, present and past tense. Uh, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So, it's up to you and I to take these spiritual blessings and claim them as our own. Diligent search. Look in verse 7. Will the Lord cast, cast off forever? And will He be favorable no more? Look, the questions that we need to settle in our own heart are... In verses 7 through 9, I want you to notice all the questions. Is the Lord going to cast us off forever? Well, He's not going to cast you off at all, let alone forever. Look, will the Lord cast off forever? This is what the psalmist felt. Is He just going to cast me off forever? No, He's not even going to cast you off, let alone forever. Look, and will be favorable? Will He be favorable no more? Will He never be favorable to me anymore? Verse 8 says, Is His mercy clean gone forever? You see what doubt can do in questions that can come to our mind when there are sorrows and trials? Then he says, Doth His promise fail forevermore? You know, God's Word is pledged and promised to His people and it will come to pass. I want to read a verse in Numbers 23 for you and verse 19. Listen carefully. It says this, God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or hath He spoken, and shall He not make it good? If God has said, He's going to do it. And if He's spoken, He's going to make it good. So, why do you think, as this psalmist said, Look, doth His promise fail forevermore? Look at verse 9. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Could God ever forget to be gracious? He is a God. The Bible says He's a God of all grace. Can He forget to be what He is? Can God forget to be what is His own character and characteristics? God is gracious and merciful. God is long-suffering. So can He forget what is His nature to be? Can He forget Himself? Can God... Uh, hath God forgotten to be gracious? Look at the next part in verse 9. Hath He in anger shut up His tender mercies? Are His tender mercies shut up so that He will never any more be merciful? Does He have yet any tender mercies left? Remember Psalm 51 when David repented? He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness. Listen carefully. According to the multitude of Thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. It's one thing to have a tender mercy. It's another thing to have a multitude of tender mercies. It's one thing to have mercy and another thing to have a multitude of tender mercies. And God has both. Look at the next verse. Psalm 77 and verse uh, 10 now. Look at verse 10. <clears throat> it says, 
And I said, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. He confessed his weakness. By the way, unbelief is an infirmity. When we fail to believe God, that is a weakness. It's a weakness on our part. Someone says, well, it's too presumptuous to believe God. No, it's not presumptuous at all. God wants to be believed. He, he asks us to believe Him, and when we don't, we're the ones that are that are having infirmity because He said, you believe Me. says He's spoken, and He's going to bring it to pass. In verse 10, He confessed this weakness. Look, in verse 10, And I said, this is My infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now look at verse 11. It says, I will remember. By the way, we need to remember. Remember, remember. Before we read verse 11, hold it just a minute. Before we read it, if you remember Peter, he said, I, call, I want to bring these things to your remembrance. Not as though you had not known them. Not as though you were not mindful of them. But he says, as long as I'm in this tabernacle or this tent, he spoke of his body as a tent or tabernacle. He says, as long as I'm in this tent, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. That's why God's people need consistent, day by day, week by week, year by year, preaching and teaching of the Word to cause us to remember the things of God because we're so soon to forget. That's why Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. He says, this is this do in remembrance of me. He wanted to be remembered. And He wanted to give us an ordinance in the local New Testament church that would bring back to His remembrance. That's why we have the Word of God. That's why the children of Israel were told to tell it to their children and, their, and the future generations and tell all the stories on back. And Paul said to Timothy, the things that you have heard of me, I want you to commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And it's come down through us, to us through the years. From the days of the apostles, what you and I have today stems from the days of Jesus and the apostles. I was reminded of what Brother Randy said. Someone down in Abilene told, said something about Randy had come out here and joined the cult. If you call a in, fundamental, independent, Bible-believing, Baptist church a cult, well, I guess that's what we are, but if that's what we are, is a, is a fundamental, independent, Bible-believing, missionary-supporting, World Baptist uh, Fellowship-associated church, local congregation. That's what we all have been ever since we started. And we came out of a Baptist church to organize this one, so it wasn't something that just Brother Joyce thought of. I asked permission to, when I left Mount Pleasant, Texas, and had to resign because of my health in 1958, October, built me a house by Christmas and had the church started by February 1st, I asked permission to start this church as a mission from the uh, come and organize the church, being at least authorized and had come from a Bible-believing, fundamental, independent Baptist church. So it's not a cult. And it's going to be a Baptist church when we're gone, when I'm gone. And I hope Randy will keep on making it a Baptist church. And then one he gets to follow him will be someone that will make sure it's a Baptist church. And by the way, that's what it is. People want to come in and make it charismatic or something else. Uh, they can go find one that's already that way. Because this one is not that way. And I don't have anything against people not agreeing with me. But if they don't agree with me, go where, somewhere where they agree. Don't come in and try to disrupt this one. We've had things happen like that before. 
And God has always given us the grace to face the facts when they had come. Anyway, where were we? Verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. So we're talking about remembering. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. He was remembering God's wonders and His works both. And then he says in verse 12, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doing. Meditating in the things of God. And then in verse 12, I mean verse uh, uh, 13. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Look at that. Where's God's way to be found? In the sanctuary. In God's very presence. Uh, who, who is so great a God as our God? Remember when we taught Psalm 73, it says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God. You get into the very presence of God. You get into the midst of the, of the Holy Spirit's presence in the local congregation. You get into to the tabernacle of old where uh, the priests went in and were in God's presence. You get into the temple of old where uh, was uh, God's representatives and God's presence. In the Old Testament tabernacle, there was that Shekinah glory behind the veil where the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant and the the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat to make atonement for the, the sins of the children of Israel. And there, uh, the high priest met in God's very presence. And when you get into God's presence, it says, The way, look, thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. You know why a lot of people don't know God's way? They won't give Him a chance. They won't get into His presence enough. See, come to church. Be in the house of God. Be where God's people are praying. And the Holy Spirit's presence is felt among and in His people. The Bible says, uh, Paul said to the Corinthian church, Ye are the temple of God. And he's speaking of them collectively. And then he says in another place, Know you not that your body, your individual body, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So, not only does the Holy Spirit indwell individuals, but the Holy Spirit indwells, He is the administrator of the church. Christ is the head, and the Holy Spirit is the only administrator. And that's why we seek God's presence and guidance and and pray that He will give us the leadership that we need in the church. And every person needs to pray and seek God's leadership in the church. We sing, we have a uh, verse in Galatians 6.1 that says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So the point is that we need spiritual men to restore others and to help others in the church. And thank God we have some here that will do it. And I believe that our, the, this whole congregation desires to be led of the Holy Spirit of God and guided in the way that God would have us to be guided. And I know we're all uh, human. We all have our sins and shortcomings. We all have our uh, maybe opinions about various things. But still, when we seek God's will and God's way and God's purpose in the church, my look at the blessings that have come from every direction and from each and every individual that's in the church. They have come. I was thinking, I went home from the funeral. You know those two trees out there in our, our, that are about to overtake our roof in the front of the church? When we first built the church, Clayton and Helen came first service. And they bought, they gave us money to buy something. That, that flower bed was empty. And they gave us some money to buy something. Little trees to put in there. 
So we went up to the little nursery up there, the other side of the ice house. An old gentleman had some little trees there. And they were supposed to stay little, but you know that was something too. They're going through the roof now. They really were supposed to stay small. But, uh, you know, blessings come from every hand. And sometimes you don't just fail to realize where they come from. They come from every hand. And, uh, well, our time is gone. We'll have to pick up where we left off. We can't finish this one. We'll pick up in verse 13. I have a circle around it anyway. I don't know why I put it there, but there's already a circle around it, so I won't even have to mark it. Verse 13, thank you much for your patience and your kind attention. And we'll get into the next psalm in our next lesson. Listen, we love every one of you. Appreciate your prayers, your presence, and everything you do for the church. You know, we have good teachers. We have good uh, associate pastor and song leader and pianist and singers and those that do specials and, and various men that do things in the church. Brother Nichols bought us the sword of the Lord back there and other people that do various things and always in your prayers and work that you do.